Try to take a little survey. If you're doing the Version Bible, there's an electronic survey in it. You can mark, and we're tracking the results. But uh, I realize most of you aren't. So um, we'll do a show of hands on this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> I thought I could do that, but might not get honest results. Um, I, I put in the electronic survey four questions, or four options. Um, how are you doing with your money? Number one, I'm feeling good about how I'm handling my money. Uh, or number two, I'm doing pretty well, but I've got a few concerns. Number three, I'm not in trouble, but I don't feel good either. Maybe worried. And number four, I'm in panic mode. Things are out of control. Um, <clears throat> money is something that's very important to us. It's very important in our culture. Um, it's how things work. It's how we earn salaries. It's how we purchase things. Everything tends to sort of revolve around money. It is important. But unfortunately, even though it's important, a lot of people today are stressed about money. Um, probably because a lot of people would say, I'm really not doing it well, handling my money. I try, I think about it a lot, spend a lot of time around it, but I'm not sure I'm handling it well, this money I have. Well, really... Um, we have been talking about this new life that we are offered by Jesus. Uh, we've been looking at that this fall and talked a little bit about it last week, that when he says, follow me, it's not just to escape my sin or be able to go to heaven. It is to a new life. And that he means that literally when he says, follow me. He wants to show us a new way to live, a better way to live in God's kingdom the way God's children were intended to live from the day of Adam and Eve. We looked at that last week as a concept before we began looking at specific areas that, in a sense, and Paul uses the analogy, to get this new life, we have to sort of throw off some old dirty clothes. And God gives us, Jesus gives us some new clean clothes that we get to put on, this new way of living. And I promised you that over the next few months, now and then after Christmas, we'll look at some specific areas. But today we want to begin with our first area, and that is this whole area of money. Because it is something that stresses us out, and it is something that a lot of us would say, I'm not sure I'm handling it well. Does Jesus have anything to say about that? I think if you haven't read the Gospels much, you might at first say, well, no, money's not really important to God. And you'd be surprised, because actually Jesus believes money is important. That might surprise you. How can you say that? But I think it's a true statement. Part of the reason I say that is he talks about it a lot. If he didn't think it was important, he wouldn't talk about it so much. It might surprise you, but actually the topic of money is one of the number one subjects Jesus talks about, if you just measure it by number of verses. And we all know he spoke in verses, so okay. So, but, but in the sense of quantity of his words, money is one of the top topics above prayer, above faith, above so many things. He talks about money. Now, I don't think that's because Jesus was obsessed about money himself. 
from what we can see of his lifestyle and how he lived, he never stressed about money at all. And in one sense, if he is God, he probably never going to have a money problem. So it wasn't for his sake that he talked about money. It was for our sake. He talked about money a lot because he knew we needed him to talk about money a lot. He knows it's important to us. He knows that currency, that money, is the basis of most cultures. And that in a sense, money is neutral. That may surprise you. But that money is neutral, it has the potential for great good. And it also has the potential for destructive bad. And so that's part of why Jesus talks about it, to help us navigate how it can be good and not ruin us. How it can bring us happiness and not pain. I think there's another reason that Jesus talks about money a lot is, and that is that he knows a secret that a lot of us don't understand. And because we don't understand it, we mishandle our money, or maybe it's we look to our money for something it can never do, and Jesus knows that. Money can't bring us peace in life, and Jesus knows that. A lot of us don't get that. We think if I have enough money, if I have enough things, then I, then I will have. There's an equal sign. Lots of stuff equals a meaningful, happy life. That message is marketed to us 24-7. We are bombarded with that message that says lots of stuff, lots of money, lots of income equals a happy life. And the secret that Jesus knows is that it doesn't. And that the reality is, the truth, the facts are, they're not related. That in fact, you can have tons of stuff and be one of the most happy, unhappy people on the block. And that you can be really pretty poor and have a happy life. The foster family that took me in when I was in college was one of the poorest families I've ever known. And they would be one of the happiest families I've ever known. And that was fascinating to come into that home and see that happen. There's not a relationship there, and Jesus knows that. Now, the interesting thing is, not only does Jesus know that, the Donald Trump, Trump of the ancient world figured that out. His name is Solomon. He's smarter than you and richer than you. Was. He's dead. But he asked God for wisdom, and God said, I will give you supernatural, godly wisdom. You are going to be the wisest man on the planet. And God said, and I will bless you. And he became the richest man on the planet. Now, Donald Trump only has one of those. And I'll let you guess which one that is. So... But here was after, so Solomon takes his incredible wisdom and the, the blessing of God that gives him enormous resources, and he says, I'm going to do some research to find the meaning of life. And the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs are really his lab notes of his research to say, with all my genius and with all my money, how do you find a meaningful life? 
You want to hear his conclusion? Here's Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Uh, the word that Solomon uses there in the Hebrew, that meaningless, is, is this word of fog, of vapor. It's nothing. There's no substance to it. That was Solomon's conclusion. What you have will never equal how happy you are. Jesus knew that. And he knew that if we spent our whole life chasing after money, we would never find happiness. So he's trying to help us avoid wasting our lives. There's a second reason Jesus talks about money a lot. And that is that he knows money has a spiritual value. Now that's going to be another thing I say today that some of you say, what? But it does in this way. Money can come between us and God. Therefore, I would say it has a spiritual value. Because it has the potential to become a wall between us and God. Jesus himself says it this way in Matthew 6. You can't love God and stuff. And what he's talking about there, if you look at that in context, is you can't try and be devoted to both. You can't say both are important to me because then you can't really love God. If you're trying to share your heart, if you're trying to have two lovers, it doesn't work. And Jesus said you can't love God and stuff. Now, if you think about why Jesus came to earth, why was it? To call us into relationship with God. That's why he even died on the cross, why he was persecuted like the persecuted Christians today. He identifies with them. And he did that so we can have a relationship with God. So if he's gone to that extent and done all of that so we can have a relationship with God, if he sees anything that can become a wall, that's going to break that relationship, that's going to undo what he's done, he wants to warn us about it. And so he says, I need to talk about money because it has the potential to become a wall between you and God and keep my cross, my death for you, from having the very benefit I want it to have. And so he doesn't want anything to ruin that relationship. Now, why are we anxious about money? So Jesus talks about it. Why are we anxious about it? Well, what I've just been talking about, the first reason we're anxious is because we don't have enough. We need more. We think we need more. We believe that there is this elusive dream that if I have enough, I'll be happy, and I'm not happy yet. Therefore, I must need more money. Then I'll be happy. And so that's the first one, and we're actually going to talk about that next week. But the second reason that we get anxious about it is because money is so uncertain. It's magical, but in a bad way. Bad magic. Because the thing about money is, it can appear here, and then like magic, it's gone. I thought I had a lot. If you're invested in a stock market, it's magical. This week, you just probably made $50,000, and you didn't do anything. And next week, it'll be gone. And money's just like that. It's not just about stock markets. 
Who of us hasn't sat there, looked at the checkbook, looked at the finance, and said, hey, I think we're doing pretty good. And two months later, what happened? There's a train wreck. The car went, the furnace went, the plumbing went, whatever went, and all that money we thought we had, poof, gone. It has a magical sense. It appears and it disappears. Okay, remember Donald Trump of the ancient world? Here's another one of his findings. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. That's what Solomon experienced with his money. Thought I had a lot? It's gone. What happened to it? Well, obviously that makes us anxious. It's all happened to us. We were scared to feel a little confident because next month it could all change. And that makes it a scary thing. And I think the third reason we're anxious is because the truth is the, uh, the future is uncertain. And our money is affected not just by what we do, the choices we make. We all saw that in 2008 as the economy tanked. And beyond, forces beyond our power undid our money. So now what's going to happen? Is it Ebola? Is it ISIS? Is it the next terrorist hit? What could ruin our finances again? So that makes us anxious too. Well, I've entitled this sermon, A Money Exchange, because I think that's what God wants to offer us. If you've traveled much, especially in previous years, there's always things you want to find. They're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport, and they're in airports where you land if you're going into a foreign country, but they're places called money exchanges. And it feels like a bank. You walk up to the window, and you give them your dollars, and they will exchange that for you and give you your rubles or zlotis or pesos or whatever country you're in. And it is this exchange, you give them your money and they give you different money back. Well, it struck me as I was working on this sermon series that that's what God wants to offer us, a money exchange. We trade in some stuff and he'll give us back something better. Because with God, it's actually a blessing. It is a money exchange that we want to make. Now, it's not necessarily a quantity of money. But if we'll trade in with God how we've been running our money and how the world teaches us to run our money, and we'll trade that into him, he'll give us a better way to handle our money. We get to trade in anxiety and fear which is what money usually gives us, and we get to get back confidence, freedom, enjoyment, peace, and he wants to make that exchange with us. Now, in some ways, my reaction would be, who wouldn't want to make that exchange? And that's really what God wants to do for us. He doesn't like to see us all anxious and worried and nervous. He says, let me help you with that. Because, you see, God and worry don't exist together. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But, you see, God, because of who he is and what he has, he just naturally repels worry. The closer you get to God, worry just goes away. Because of who God is. Your new adoptive heavenly Father wants to draw you to him And as you do that, you're going to find worry going away.
Turn over to Matthew 6. We're going to read two passages from this chapter, so keep your finger there. Jesus talks about God and worry. First, I want to read 25 through 27. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, if you look at those verses, Jesus actually gives us three reasons to not worry in those verses. One, it's not the secret to a happy life. So all you're worrying about money isn't going to make you happy. We've already talked about that. In the first couple of verses, Jesus says life is much more than how much you have. The second reason, Jesus says, is because God's going to take care of you. God takes care of his children. He takes care of his birds and his animals. And if you're his child, he's going to take care of you. You don't need to worry. And number three, Jesus says, is it really helping? If you're like me, you can easily wake up at 3 a.m. and start thinking. We wouldn't call it worrying. That's not spiritual. But we start thinking... And we're up the rest of the night worrying. Did you solve anything? Probably not. Are you any better off? No, you're probably worse off. Jesus says right here, are you helping by all your worrying? So his bottom line conclusion is don't worry. Well, then he goes on because he wants to say, here's how you break the worry habit. Okay? To break out of this cycle. So in, let's keep reading Matthew 6. Now 28 through 33. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, Donald Trump, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he already knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, what Jesus is trying to teach us in those verses is that God is a really good provider. And he says, just look at nature. How is nature doing? How are the animals doing? The birds, all of that. They're doing pretty well. They have enough to eat. Most of them aren't obese. They're pretty healthy. They're getting by. They're warm in winter. They're cool in summer. They have an amazing way God has designed for them to do just fine. And Jesus says, do you honestly not think these flowers that last a month and are frozen and gone now, or this animal that may live two or three years 
And God bothers to provide for everything they need. Do you honestly think this God who came to earth and died on a cross for you, who paid an enormous price to adopt you, do you honestly think he is not going to also continue to take care of you after what he's already done? So why do you even need to worry? And he also says, don't be distracted by all the stuff. Like the pagans do, the unbelievers, those trying to live without God. Those people who feel like all the pressure's on me. I've got to earn enough. I've got to save enough. I've got to be smart enough because it's all on me. That's how people live without God. And he says, don't you do that. God already knows what you need. He's way ahead of you. And we've already seen he's providing. So just don't even go there. In fact, what you need to do is just try and draw closer to God. Because God drives worry away. God is the provider. God is the source. Invest your thinking. Invest your efforts in getting closer to God. Because he is going to take care of your money problems as well. He's smarter than you. He's richer than you. And he really is in control. So seek him. Now, I would say that's a pretty good money exchange. That we can go and, and, and take God at this offer. Now, how do we do that if we want to make that exchange? If we want to trade in our fears and worries, our anxiousness, for a peace and a confidence, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you how, but I need to warn you in advance. It's going to sound really weird, and you may tend to shut down at that moment. So just put on your seatbelt and ride the roller coaster to the end, okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm really serious. Because it is, in, intuitively, logically, you're going to say, well, that's stupid. Well, you always want to be careful about calling God's plan stupid, A. And B, you've got to remember, God is this amazing magician who you think, well, that was sort of goofy. And then when it's all over, it's like, that was genius. Well, this is one of them. God's solution, at first, you're going to hear it and you're going to say, well, that's stupid. And then when it's all over, you're going to say, that was genius. And that really is his plan. And it is genius when you think about it, and when you experience it. Okay, you ready? Okay, lock the doors. Here's God's plan. And if I can summarize it in, in a nutshell, his plan is give him some of your money. And you're like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was about helping me with my money, and I already don't have enough. So the, the solution, how can the solution be giving away some of what I need more of? See, I told you it was weird. I warned you. Okay, let's go over and read his plan, Malachi 3. Now, Israel has been, Israel and God are in a fight, okay? And they're complaining because God's not taking care of them as his nation, and he's saying, well, here's the problem. He's very upfront with Israel and says, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is why things are haywire between us, and why life isn't working for you. They were anxious and worried. Okay? Okay, verse 8. 
Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how in the world are we robbing you, God? So God's answer, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then God explains. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Okay? Now, if you think about a currency exchange, just go, go back to traveling. If you ever wanted to go up to a currency exchange and just take their British pounds without giving them their dollars, what would they call it? Robbery. And you get arrested. So we shouldn't be totally bent out of shape that God says, well, if you want a currency exchange here, give me something. And I'll give you something back of greater value. And, of course, what God uses here is the tithe. Now, I understand in this room, some of you have grown up with this and know this backwards and forwards, and I'm going to repeat what you know. But for some of you, this really is a new concept. I love the lady who heard this and called me and said, what in the world is tithing? And I, it's just a new concept. And so I want to explain, because it's, it's mostly in the Old Testament, but it is the concept of a 10%. That God gives us our income, whatever that income can be in whatever form it is, and what he says is, I would ask you to give 10% of that back to me. You keep 90% of all that I have given you. You get to keep it. And I want you to give me 10% back to express gratitude and say thank you that I've given you health and a job and career and abilities and a farm and a crops and whatever. And for you to remind yourself that you're not really in control of life and that if I'm not helping you, you're really toast. And to recognize that and say, you're God and I know you're God and I will give you 10% because I'm the creation. You're the creator. But it's also about trusting God. That I want to walk and trust God for my future, not just trust myself. If I don't want to do that, if I don't want to give God that 10%, it sort of is an indicator that I'm really trying to depend on myself for my future, not God. And if I am, then I need 100%. But if I'm depending on God, then there's no problem giving him 10% back because he'll replace it with more. And so it does become sort of a barometer of how we're doing with God and where we're depending on for the future. And so God himself in Malachi uses the term rob. And I think we could bring that over today with the very concept of saying, I want God to bless me, but I don't want to give God for this money exchange. I want to keep 100% and I think God should bless me. And what God said to ancient Israel and what I think he still says to people today is, if you're trying to hold on to 100%, that tells me you're really relying on yourself for your future. You're not relying on me. And I can't help you as long as you want to live that way. When you're willing to trust me, then I know you're trusting me and just stand back. I will take care of you beyond your dreams. 
And it's so interesting, this is one of the very few times in the whole Bible where God gives us permission to test him. He really does say, I dare you. Trust me with your future. Give me 10% back out of gratitude to remind yourself that I'm trusting God, not me, for all of those reasons. And God said, if you will do that, you watch how I can take care of your future. You watch how I can give you a happy, contented life. How I can remove worry. How I can remove all your financial anxiety. You watch how I can take care of you. But you got to trust me. And I need to see that you trust me. And that's why he gave us the concept of the tie. And so, in a, in a sense, the question for all of us is, are we ready to test God? Are we willing to trust God? Now, I really debated about doing this. We're going to take the offering, and we've saved it. You probably haven't noticed there's been no offering, but in case you haven't, we held the offering till last. And I honestly really debated about that because I detest churches that manipulate people. And by holding the offering to the end, I knew that could feel like manipulating. But there is another way, too. And that is the reality is every time an offering plate comes by every Sunday, it really is a test. And we make a choice every Sunday. Am I going to trust God this week? And we show it to him. He sees, are you trusting me or not? And he has said, If you trust me, then give me a gift, a significant gift. It's not a $5 bill once a month. It's that tithe idea, that 10%, that significant amount. And he says, oh, you're trusting me for another week. Wait till I bless you this week. Wait till I take care of you. But he says, I need you to trust me. And that's the decision when we pass the offering. One of my pet peeves is when people talk about the Sunday offering about paying the church bills. Oh, it does that. But that's not what it's about. The Sunday offering, just like communion, it's between me and God. It's between you and God. And it's a statement of trust. Am I walking with him? Am I trusting him? And remember what he says. I dare you. Trust me. See what I can do in your life. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take the offering. And don't be looking at anybody else today. Eyes on the screen as we sing. But for each of us, it is a time to say, am I willing to trust God even with my finances? Let's pray. Father, I, you stretch us, you test us. It's not an easy thing to put 10% of our income in that offering. But what's so much greater is what you will do if we trust you. How you will bless us and meet our needs. How you will shower us with blessings from heaven. You do that. Some of us have seen you do that year after year. And we praise you 
for being that kind of giving God if we will just trust you. So help us take that risk to make the exchange with you. In your son's name, amen.